Hey, it is great to be at Palmer Pentecostal Church once again. Amen. Um, I, you're breaking up. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I wish I was there instead of 3,694 miles away. But the Lord wanted me to feel at home tonight, so he sent us about two or three inches of sleet yesterday and snow today. But the nice thing about it is by uh, Thursday or Friday, it's all going to be gone. <laughs> well, as somebody said, ain't God good. Amen. And it, it is a, a, an honor to be with you all tonight. Kind of a great honor. And of course, we love and appreciate the hearings, the great work that's being done in Palmer. Uh, now, I have, what, two hours to go here? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's 9.30 here, so I might as well make the most of it. Uh, let me turn your attention, if I could, to the book of, me of Nehemiah and uh, chapter 5. And we'll look at verse 15. Is Brother Playel there? Hey, buddy. And it's it's not water. But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread, wine, beside 40 shekels of silver, yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I because of the fear of God. But so did not I because of the fear of God. And then a very familiar portion of scripture, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Be not conformed. Uh, you may be seated. I, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes uh, on this subject. An ancient nonconformist an ancient nonconformist not the word conform means to comply with rules standards or laws and the word nonconformity means the process whereby people change their beliefs their attitudes their actions or perceptions to more closely match those held by 
groups in their surroundings or by groups whose approval they desire. Now, I haven't met many people who, when asked, who's your favorite Bible character? And their answer is Nehemiah. And I don't think I'd be very far off the mark or going out on a limb to make a pretty bold statement that uh, the ordinary Bible reader probably knows very little about Nehemiah. Uh, in the studying I have done, I, I personally believe he was or is one of the neglected great men of Scripture. He, he was not a prophet. Uh, he didn't have, as far as I can tell, any lofty visions. He was not given any special commissions. The main commission that most people know Nehemiah about, you could tell me, and what was that? He was in charge of rebuilding uh, the wall at Jerusalem. Uh, he did not live, according to some scholars, in a heroic age. Some people would say there was probably a harshness and a dryness about him. But in my study, and I, I think, I feel he, he was a very cautious man, but he was also a very brave man. And above everything else, he had a deep love for God in his heart and a love for Jerusalem. Now, these words that I've chosen for our lesson here tonight are, are just a little fragment of his autobiography. And they deal with what some people might say is an insignificant enough matter. But I feel yet carry with them very important principles. When Nehemiah was appointed the governor of the little colony of returned exiles in Palestine, he found out that his predecessors, the former governors, had been in the habit, if I could put it this way, of putting the squeeze on the people. They were taking advantage by requisitioning. Uh, sufficient supplies of provision to keep the governor's table well spread on a daily basis. It was the custom. It was what others were doing. Nobody would have questioned or condemned Nehemiah if he had conformed to what the others had done. But Nehemiah. First of all, he felt like he needed to keep his hands clean. God help us to keep our hands clean today. So why didn't he follow tradition? Why didn't he do what all those other governors before him had done in like manner? Well, I love his answer, which is beautiful in its simplicity. Nehemiah didn't do it simply because of the fear of God. 
In other words, uh, Nehemiah's religion, or better yet, Nehemiah's spirituality went way down and deep, deep into the little duties of common everyday life. And they imposed upon him a, a standard far above the maxims that were practiced round about him. So if, if you'll just allow me here for a few minutes uh, to take these words and kind of disengage them from, their, from the small matter concerning which they were originally spoken of, I think, I think we can find a few good thoughts here to help us, even though what we're looking at took place thousands of years ago. And number one, what should be the attitude that we today as children of God should take to prevalent practices going on round about us? Many, many of them done in the name of Jesus Christ. And then number two, what, what is the motive behind that? What, what, what should compel us to a very strong noncompliance? And then number three, the, the power which should, or I should say, the power that will enable us to walk on a solitary road. Because, friend, when you become noncompliant, you're going to find yourself in a lonely, lonely position. And you may be required to walk a dark, lonely road, but thank God the Lord has given us the power that we need, amen, to walk where we need to walk, to live where we need to live. So did not I because of the fear of God. So what, what is the attitude to prevalent practices round about us? In a nutshell, Nehemiah just would not conform. I said he just would not conform. And unless you and unless I today can say a very strong no, and do it quite often, our spiritual lives are going to come crashing down around us. That this, this non-compliance with customary practices, friend, it's the beginning, or if not the beginning, it's at least one of the foundation stones of all nobleness and all strength, of all blessedness and all power. So, my friends, be sure of this one thing, that unless you are in the mindset of being a nonconformist, I'm afraid as a child of God, you're going to come to no good, none whatsoever. I, it's, it's, it's so easy to follow the crowd. It's so, it's so easy to do what others are doing. And why is that? Well, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, partly because of laziness. Mm, yeah, we get lazy in our walk with God. 
oh, I'll, I'll read my Bible today, but then I won't pick it up for two or three days. And I'll, 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 I'll spend, you know, 15 or 20 minutes in prayer today, but I certainly can't afford to spend a half hour or an hour before the throne of grace. So we get lazy. And then it's partly because of cowardice. And then it's partly because of the instinctive imitation that's found in all of us. We don't like to be different. We like to fit in. I read of an experiment a group of sociologists did with a flock of sheep some years ago. They lined up a number of sheep and uh, they put, oh, 25 or 30 of them in a straight line. And then uh, a man stood in front of the first sheep in line and he, he held out a long stick. They prodded the sheep and the first sheep jumped over the stick. The next three or four sheep also jumped over the stick. And then the man with the stick took the stick away. There was no more stick there. But every, every sheep that came to that exact spot jumped. Even though, even though there was no stick there. And there are so many people, they, they, pastor, they, they adopt their creeds, they adopt their opinions, they, they shape their lives, oh God, for no better reason than because people around them are thinking and acting in a certain lifestyle. Now, yes, it, uh, it has its advantages. It saves a great deal of trouble. It gratifies a certain strange instinct in all of us. And, of course, it avoids dangers and conflicts. And it's so easy to slip into the mode, well, when in Rome, let's just do as the Romans. But not so with Nehemiah. So did not I because of the fear of God. Amen. Amen. I am not going to live like the world today. I am not going to adopt uh, things that are going to affect my eternal home by what people are doing around me unless it's found in the word of God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we, I know you're familiar with the book of Daniel. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem in the year 606. And uh, when he went back to Babylon, he took Daniel and what we refer to as the three Hebrew children. But how many other refugees did he take back from Jerusalem? It wasn't just four people. 
from what I can gather, was maybe anywhere from sixty to eighty thousand. Okay, but yet we have record. I don't know. There may have been others that said no, but we do have record that Daniel, who was just maybe seventeen years old, in an environment that everything was telling him to let go of what he had been grown up with in Jerusalem. And they changed his name. They, they, they changed everything about him to try to make him a Chaldean, a Babylonian. And when they came to serve these four young men, the king's meat, Daniel said, no, we're not, we're, no, I'm not complying. I, I don't know about all the others that came down here with us. I don't know what they're doing, but I am not complying. I, I am taking a stand right here. And friends, listen, we're living in a day and age when the world is knocking on our doors vehemently. The world is oozing, it's creeping, it's doing everything it can to get into the church. And thank Thank God for a pastor that will stand and preach truth and righteousness. But friend, listen, we, we have to get a backbone ourselves. We ourselves, when we walk out of these doors, have to look at the world and in the environment that we're required to work in on a daily basis. And everything is saying, fit in, fit in. We need to stand and say very vehemently, no. I am not fitting in. Praise God. I've made up my mind. This is where I stand. I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, I ask you to take this principle of, of, of the necessity of noncompliance and apply it not only in your church life, but your daily life. Apply it to your opinions. I'm going to say something now, and if, if you're taking notes, please. And if not, you need to get a pencil and write this down. There is no tyranny like the tyranny of a majority in a democratic country such as ours. I said there is no tyranny like the tyranny of a majority in a democratic country as ours is. And unless you resolve very strongly, number one, to see not as other people see, but to see with your own eyes. Don't let other people do your thinking for you. Use your own brains. Stand upon your own two feet. Amen. I said, stand upon your own two feet. And friend, listen, if you're not going to see with your own eyes, quit looking, amen, at the situations round about you through the eyes of other people. Look at it through the word of God. Hallelujah. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
it will not lead you astray. But friend, you have got to, you have got to look for yourself. You have got to stand upon your own two feet and then quit being an echo and be a voice. Amen. If you don't do that, you're going to find yourselves helplessly enslaved by the opinions that prevail at this time. Now, granted, what everybody, you know, what everybody is saying might be true, but I have found out in my lifetime what most people say at any given time is very likely to be false. And here's another thing you can write down. Truth has always lived with minorities. I said truth has always lived with minorities. So don't let the current of widespread opinion sweep you away, but again, have a mind of your own. What did Paul say in Philippians 2.5? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And if you have read the Gospels recently, you can't read them without coming to the realization Jesus was the greatest nonconformist that ever walked the face of the earth. Yes, he ate with publicans and sinners, but his greatest, his greatest antagonism and his greatest uh, of leaving them and not wanting to have anything to do with the way they live was the religious society of the day. God help us. God help us. Amen. To stick on the straight and narrow. My second thought. Our text suggests to me that what what is the motive? What what causes us? What what compels us to this sturdy noncompliance? Nehemiah puts it in Old Testament terms when he says the fear of God. The New Testament equivalent is the love of Christ. The love of Christ. It's not because somewhere in this auditorium, the pastor has a list of rules and things that are put up on a wall and to be involved, this is what I have to do. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't do it mainly because of that. What I do, the way I live, the way I walk, the way I talk uh, is not because of another man. It's because I love Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to fall in love afresh and anew with the Lord and Savior every day. Hallelujah. Friends, listen, we are living in treacherous times. And if ever we needed to walk close to Jesus Christ, it is today. I said it is today. Praise God. So my point here is simply this, and that is the Lord requires. Everybody say requires. I said he requires from his children 
that we abstain, that we restrict, and we just refuse to do a lot of things that are being done around about us. I don't think I need to remind you how many times or how often the Lord spoke about taking up the cross. I said taking up the cross. And I'm not talking about something that dangles around somebody's neck saying I bear. No, no, no. Amen. I'm talking about a real cross. And friend, I don't know about you, but in my life, I find when I am bearing that cross, if I try to go through some doors, that cross prevents me from going through the door. And if, I and if I insist of going through that door, I have to lay my cross down. God help us. God help us to be cross bearers today. Hallelujah. It's not by accident that the Lord on a regular basis said, take up, deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I vividly remember, I'm sure you do too of his lesson about two ways. Two ways. Again, just two ways. Not three, not four, not a half a dozen, but just two ways. And take note that all of the characteristics of each of the ways which he sets forth are given by him as reasons for refusing the one and walking in the other. For example, he says, Enter ye in at the, what? Straight gate. Why? For straight is the gate, and what? Narrow is the way. And there's just a flock of people going in there. No, no. Few there be that find it. That's, that's a good reason for not going in the other gate. And then he said, wide is the gate. Okay? Broad is the way. Another, another reason for backing away. Okay? And many there be that go in thereat. The final reason for not choosing the popular way. I've referred to the fact that Minority is generally right, and the majority wrong. Just because there's so many people on the on the path, that gives you reason to suspect it. And the path with fewer travelers is probably the better and the higher road to take. Hallelujah. Friends, listen. This this road that the Lord has put us on is not a popular way. I said it's not a popular way. But amen, I believe it's the right way, Pastor. I believe it's the only way. I said, I believe it's the only way. I have found out walking this straight and narrow way. There are many times I have to look at people, people that go under the guise even of Christianity and say, no, I don't go there. No, I don't do that. No, I will not be involved in that. Why? Because I long to walk as close as I can to my Savior's side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I love him tonight. 
Paul said, be not conformed to this world. Be not, what? okay. So then I ask you, what, what did Jesus mean by his continual contrast between his followers, his disciples, and the world? What did he mean by the words, the world? Was he talking about this fair, beautiful universe he's placed us in? with all of its possibilities, all of its helps and blessings and all of its wonderful influences? No, 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 a thousand times no. What Jesus meant by the world was the aggregate of things and men considered as separate from God. The aggregate of things and men considered as separate from God. You know, when you come down to this thing, there's just not a whole lot of, you know, this, that, what, the other. It, it's very simple. Amen. It's very simple. But we have to get the mindset, amen, I'm not conforming to this world. Amen. I, I am not. I'm not going to do things, be involved in things, uh, amen, that people would look at me and and put me in the ranks of the world. I, I'm not going to do that. And to do that, I cannot conform to the world, to its principles, to, to the things that it wants me to do. Now, when he applied the term to men only, he meant by, he meant by it very much what we mean when we refer to society. Now, back in the mid-1770s, the men that founded this great country that we live in, you can look back and see that the laws and the things that they did were founded on godly biblical principles. Amen. Praise God. But friend, when we look at the society we're in today, I'm telling you that it is far, far from that. It is far, far from what our forefathers, uh, amen, founded this great country upon. Praise God. Our society is today is not built upon Christian principles. Far from it. And until it is, if a man's going to be a child of God, he must not conform to the world. The Apostle John told us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He went on to say, if any man love, very plain, hey, the love of the Father is not in him. For the world passeth away. Amen. The world's going to pass away. It's all going to come to an end. But thank God our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hallelujah. Praise God. James 4, 4. I like how the NIV puts it. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with their form? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes a what? An enemy of God. And friend, people that conform to this world are an enemy of God. 
I listen, I say I say this without fear or favor that our Christianity is nothing unless it leads us to a standard unless it leads us to a standard and a course of conduct in conformity to that standard. Amen. And that standard will be in diametrical opposition to a great deal that is, let me tell you, under the guise of Christianity, there are a great many people that are very much opposed to what I've been teaching here the last few minutes. Amen. There is an easygoing Christianity in great favor with so many people today. And they're they're very liberal. They feel they can conform with the world and still stay close to the Lord's side. They feel they can act like the world, dress like the world, go where the world goes, act like the world, talk like the world, and still everything is good between them and Jesus. I'm here to say, friend, according to the word of God, he says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And when you do that, then I'll accept you. And I'll be a father unto me, and you'll be a son unto me. God help us. Men organized as they are in society. They do not think very much. They do not think very much of the conservative Christianity that we live today. The words of the Apostle Paul come down, come ringing down to us, as I said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That is what drives us or should drive us, amen, to be a nonconformist. Amen. Thank God. And now one last word in our text. Uh, And that is our text not only suggests the motive which compels us to this noncompliance, but it also to exercise it. As I said, Nehemiah put it, the fear of God. Again, the New Testament equivalent, the love of Christ makes it possible for you, for me, a man, a woman with all their weaknesses and all their dependencies on surroundings, with all his instinctive desires to be like those around him, yet to take that brave attitude and refuse to be one of the crowd. Let me making reference to the love of Christ, making this possible for a man. Paul writes to the church at Rome, and he says, because the love of God is what? Shed abroad in our hearts by what? By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I trust that helps me to be a nonconformist, amen, it's through, I can only do it through the power of the Holy Ghost, amen, that's why I, that's why I must be prayed up each and every day, 
the devil say, well, it's Sunday, I won't bother him today, or it's Wednesday, or it's Tuesday night. No, he is constantly, amen, at our door trying to break it down, and we get weak. Why did Jesus say that men ought always to pray, not period, and what? And not to faint. He knew as humans, we would faint. Amen. But he said, I will give you the power. Amen. I'll give you what it takes. Uh, amen. To live an overcoming life of nonconformity. Hallelujah. Praise God. John 7, John 17. Jesus, this is really the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not, you know, what so many people think is the Lord's Prayer, but this is really the Lord's Prayer. And he said, I pray for them. He said, I, I, I pray for them. He's praying for you, Pastor Herring. Hallelujah. Sister Cindy Herring, he's praying for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. I pray not for the world. I pray for you, but I don't pray for the world. But I pray for them. I said this before, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Amen. Jesus turned and looked at Peter one day. And said, Peter, Satan hath desired thee to sift thee like wheat. And Satan has divided, desired each and every one of you that are sitting there tonight. I said, he's desired you. Amen. And he is powerful. He's a prince in power of the air. But thank God, Jesus looked at Peter. And what did he say? I have prayed for you. Hallelujah. In your darkest trial, in your hardest times, saint of God. Take heart. I prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Praise God. I pray not that thou shouldest what? Take them out of the world. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Hallelujah. This Holy Ghost that I have gives me the power to Keep me from the evil of that roaring, raging lion who's going about seeking whom he may devour. One of the biggest evils is nonconformity. Amen. And then 1 John 4, 4 uh, tops it all off. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he, amen. Praise God. Yeah, things are bad out there. Things are getting worse and worse outside, amen, and outside the walls of our churches, friends. But no matter how bad they get, thank God, it will always be greater is he that is in us. Amen. But friend, to have that greater, you've got to spend time in the presence of the Lord. There's just, just no substitute for it whatsoever. Amen. Praise God. 
Paul said, you're bought with a price. That won't deliver us from the tyranny of majorities and what we call general opinion and ordinary custom. Amen. In closing, he, he being my redeemer, he being your redeemer, we have to realize he's also our judge. Moment by moment, he's judging us. He's judging our conduct, our actions. I'm to the point in my life, Pastor Harry, it, it's really very small matter to me to be judged of my peers or man's judgment. He that judgeth me is the Lord. Never mind. Never mind what people are saying round about you. Constantly at you and bothering you. Never mind. Amen. You don't have to answer to them, but you do have to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't take our orders from this world. You know, in just about all of the nations around the world, the United States has what they call U.S. embassies. And who's over the embassy? The ambassador. There's an ambassador to every country. Amen. And that embassy and the property is it, that it's on can really be looked at as a part of the United States of America. When, when uh, Orveda and I traveled to Israel a number of years ago with Brother Odell, the first day we were touring in Jerusalem, we drove by the embassy, we pulled over to, alongside the U.S. Embassy. Brother Odo says, write this address down, put it where you can get a hold of it. And he said, if you get separated or you get lost, you don't know what to do, you just come to the U.S. Embassy. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Just come to the U.S. Embassy. Hey, there's a little portion there in Palmer, Alaska. I don't know. I don't know how many acres you have there, Pastor. Amen. And yes, it's it's part of Alaska. We know that. But in all reality, it's it's a part of heaven. Praise God. Amen. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Hallelujah. On a regular basis, we can gather into our embassy. Praise God. Amen. And find a little bit of home. Praise God. Amen. Now that that U.S. ambassador appointed by the president of the United States of America, he does not report to the local authority. No, uh-uh. He does not. He reports. Amen. Hey, friends, tonight we report to the throne. Hallelujah. And what he thinks, what he thinks about me is the only, let's, de let's determine tonight, amen. T to be like Jesus is not just a song, but it's a way of life, amen. And to be like him 
Amen. When I walk out these doors, I have got to, to, to just look at the world and the things of the world and say, no, I am not conforming to this world. Amen. God bless you tonight. It's been so good to be with you, Pastor Harry. You know, you know, um, uh, I still try to be their friend. I still try to be, uh, you know, I, I didn't write them off. Now, many times when I see them, I could tell they were trying to avoid me. And, but uh, every opportunity I had when I'd run into them at the store or wherever, uh, I let them know, hey, the door is still open. The door is still open. And again, you know, I have to come to the realization that it's uh, life, and then they have to live with those choices. And, and some of them are not good choices. And people over the years that say, Pastor, I know how you're feeling. And, and no, you don't. I'm sorry. It's not unless you are in that position that you will ever know the 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 nights that uh, your pastor is awakened and there immediately there's a name there and there's a heaviness and there are tears that are shed and it breaks your heart. It really does. But it comes to the point where you have to just realize, God, the biggest thing I can do for them is to pray for them, call their name every day in prayer. Amen. And and if you don't let the Lord, you know, pastor, share that burden, you'll you go crazy. You know, you, you just can't bear that kind of burden. Amen. By yourself. But thank God he is there to to help us to bear the burden. And uh, I just uh, I just talked to a friend not long ago. And uh, well, it has been a few months ago, but anyway, uh, they had three children, and uh, their middle child was from God, and had had been backslidden, living in a backslidden condition for I think it was Sunday night. The back door opened. He walked in, made his way to the altar, prayed back through to victory. Amen. So. Yeah, the the greatest thing we can do is is, is pray. Amen.